Merry Christmas. And Happy New Year. You know, we don't start Christmas until December 25th. We've been in Advent uh, for about a month, uh, but now we're in Christmas for 12 days, right? Until the day of the celebration of the wise men coming. But uh, we also have New Year's um, that we remember, uh, a new year that we have to serve the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. And so we pray the prayer, the simple prayer of Samuel, the child. The simple prayer. Speak, O Lord, for your servants are hearing. Amen. The beginning of a new year, uh, we, we, um, we get a lot of emotions stirred up inside of us. You know, we think about our, our, our will, our weak will, and we decide we're going to boost up our will and we're going to do some things that kind of faded away last year and, and we're going to do that. And, uh, but it also may trigger lots of emotions of hope, uh, regret, thankfulness, fear. One of the emotions that happens is nostalgia. And when I thought of that word, I thought of this song. And some of you are like, oh, what? Where did that song came from? It came, I think, in the 1960s. Those were the days, my friends. We thought they'd never end. I don't remember the other part. Oh, yes, those were the days. Nostalgia is a longing for the way things used to be. An ache. To go back home is actually the etymology of that word, the origin of that word. The ache of going back home to that place where place of comfort and, and peace. Well, the main figure this morning in our passage is a man named Philip. And Philip was, I believe, in having this sense of nostalgia at some moment in, the, in this passage, in the beginning of chapter 8, we've, we read towards the end of chapter 8, but at the beginning of it, uh, we, I believe that he was sensing this sense of nostalgia. What had happened? Well, uh, Philip, along with a lot of the Christians, had been ejected. There was a persecution that began in Jerusalem, and he found himself homeless. And he was looking back at Jerusalem, and he says, wow, man, will it ever be like that again? Those were the good days. You remember those days when the 120 uh, stood up before all of the people of Pentecost and began to preach in all the languages of all the people. And how 3,000 of those who had come to that festival had come to Jesus. That Peter had spoken the word of God and the church was begun in those days and how they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, to prayer. How they saw through the hands of the apostles how God had done miracles among them. And they were one body together. And every week and every day, many more were added on to their, to their number of the church of Jesus Christ. Those were great days, Philip may have thought. How could they ever be ever like that again? And now, because of the preaching of Stephen, that other deacon like Philip, 
that persecution had, had begun and, and this man named Saul had begun going out and arresting those believers and we had to leave that land and now we are without a home. Well, who was this man, Philip? Um, first of all, we need to recognize that he was not the Philip of the apostles. He's not one of the 12. There was a Philip and an Andrew and, and a Simeon and all of those uh, Simon, and, um, but this is not the apostle Philip. This was another Philip. In fact, that Philip was a Hebrew-speaking Jew. But Philip, this Philip here, was a Greek-speaking Jew because the, you know, the, the, the Jewish world at that, that day was divided. Those who were around Jerusalem spoke Hebrew or Aramaic like Jesus did. But there were Jews that were spread out throughout the Greek and Roman world that spoke Greek and Alexandria, Egypt was the center of, of, of uh, Jewish, uh, Greek speaking uh, Jews. And this Philip here was a Greek speaking Jew, but now he found himself in, in Jerusalem and in, in Israel, and he was an outsider in so many ways. Not only was he not the Apostle Philip, and he was not a Hebrew speaking Jew. He was, he was not a minister of the, God, of the gospel. He was not a minister of the word of God or prayer. He was simply a worker in that day. He was not uh, someone that people looked to for ministry. He was a guy that served tables. Like most of the people in the church, you know, you say, oh, I can't speak publicly. You know, I, 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 just give me a job. I'll sweep floors, I'll, I'll serve tables, I'll set up tables, and, and I'll serve coffee, and all of those things. That was who Philip was. He was not a leader, but a servant. But he did have the title of deacon. It was interesting, I looked up the, I, I never saw this before, but the origin of that word comes through two, a compound word, diakonos. It means through the dust. That's what it meant. He was the guy who, you know, someone else led, just like driving down a dirt road. You know, you don't want to follow somebody who's leading because guess what? You get all the dust and, you know, and you're trying to... That's who Philip was. He was a follower. He was not a leader. He was someone who took care of the errands around the church. That was who Philip was. In fact, even when God began to use Philip down in, in, in Samaria... Um, he was able to baptize some people and people began to follow because he preached the gospel. They had to call Peter and John to come from Jerusalem to approve of what God was doing in Samaria. In fact, the Holy Spirit hadn't, fall, hadn't fallen on the people of Samaria. It was only when Peter and John came and prayed for him that the Holy Spirit came and Philip was, okay, cool. Uh, that was a wonderful thing. Well, um, one of the principles that I wanted to pull out here about Philip is that to remember that God uses nobodies. Nobodies, like you and I, servants of God, not any, that have any special abilities, but simple people who want to serve God. God uses nobodies. In our discipleship class that we've been uh, meeting um, uh, for this fall and into the winter, into December, 
uh, we've been talking about how to share the gospel, how to be a winsome witness of the gospel. And we'll probably start again. We are definitely going to start again next week. So if you want to make that one of your uh, New Year's Eve uh, or New Year's um, commitments, uh, that you would come to discipleship class at 9.15, and uh, we were, we're, we're going to continue to talk about uh, some of the ways that we can learn how to be a witness for the Lord Jesus Christ. And, um, and so what I'm going to share today is kind of like a, a, a compaction of, of uh, some of those principles that we've been going through in those days. And so the first principle, the first principle about sharing the gospel is that remember that God uses us. Every one of us can be a witness for the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember in, in Romans chapter, um, Acts chapter 8 verse 4, it says that everyone was scattered with the exception of the apostles. So only in Jerusalem the apostles were. And everybody else was scattered. And what did they do? They preached the gospel wherever they went. And that's the story of Philip. He was uh, one that God used. He was a nobody that God was able to use to further his kingdom to spread the gospel. Well, I didn't originally want to preach this message. I was going to preach on Simeon and Anna. And then I, so I texted with uh, Pastor Eric, and he says, what a great passage. That's what I spoke on last Sunday. And so after uh, thinking about it for about two weeks, I was like, great. I said, that's okay. I'm still going to steal some of my material from Simeon and Anna. Because they were nobodies. In fact, that's kind of a theme in the Gospel of Luke, who wrote the Gospel of Luke and the Book of Acts, that, that God uses nobodies. Imagine Zechariah, right? Zechariah, who was he? Okay, he was a priest. But he didn't live in Jerusalem. He traveled in for his 24 days to serve in the temple, and then he went back home to Elizabeth. God used a, a, a simple teenage girl named Mary. That's what we learn about. Not in, in other Gospels do we learn as much as we learn about Mary and Joseph. And then, of course, you know, in the Christmas story, there are these guys named shepherds. God uses these simple people. God intends to use them. And then we get to the story of Simeon and Anna. And, and what I saw in that passage <laughs> is they were simple people. That God had moved in them, and they were at the end of their life, and they were just waiting and waiting for that moment that God might use them. And then that day came. Anna and Simeon were able to stand up when baby Jesus comes in uh, into uh, the temple with Mary and Joseph and he gets presented before the Lord and they stood up and said, this is the one. This is the Messiah. They were able to, at the end of their life, the very end of their life, especially for Anna, maybe, we're not sure how, how old Simeon was, but it says that he, he said, dismiss me now, Lord. I've done what I was supposed to do. Now I can go home to be with you. And it was this simple people that God, that, that Luke kind of highlights in the Gospel of Luke. Well, we were thinking about, uh, Jan and I were driving one day and we're thinking about, the new, about New Year's and, and, and the uh, you know, passing of time. And, and she kind of said, you know, I sometimes feel a little bit sad. You know, in our age, maybe, maybe younger 
people don't feel that. But uh, uh, at our age, we kind of look at the, and go, wow, time has passed us by. And, and we wonder, another year, what do we have to look forward to? All that wonderful raising up of our children. Oh, yeah, we got our grandchildren. It's awesome. But time has passed by. Recently, I was in a retreat. And uh, one of the things that we did in the retreat is we, we, uh, we were challenged to ask God a question. What question would you ask God today? What question? And so I began to journal a little bit. And the question that I asked was a little bit depressing, but that was where I was at that moment. And the question was, is this all there is? I I reflected on my life and and ministry and 30-something years of pastoring churches and doing all kinds and traveling and doing missions trips and all of these things and then kind of looking at my life and going, most of it's there. Is that all there is, Lord? Well, we ended that retreat uh, session that we had by then praying with one another. It was a bunch of pastors together. So one-on-one, we began to pray with one another and one of my friends, but I had never told him that that was the question. I just wrote it down in my journal. Is that all there is? And so he began to pray for me. And at the end of his prayer, he says, you know, Lord, remind him that the best is yet to come. How did he know that I was asking that question? Is that all there is? And God says, the best is yet to come. I hold that. I don't know what that means. I, I don't, maybe it's just passing on to my, to my grandchildren the faith that, that, that I've carried in my, in my life, that we have carried together. I don't know what that means, but that meant something to me. The best is yet to come. So I don't know where you are today. You may be like, like Jan and I, or that place where you look at your life and go, wow, okay, that was great. <sighs> don't know what you have for us. But I think the message this morning is that God can use us. It may be that the best is yet to come. Regardless of where you are, whether you feel like life has passed you by, that you have made some decisions that kind of caused all those other things to go by, and now here you are. Maybe there was some brokenness that happened in your life that maybe felt like you felt like you were disqualified from being used by God. But the message this morning is God uses people like us. And maybe... The best is yet to come. Well, Philip, that nobody, is there and God uses him mightily in in, uh, Samaria and all these great things and Peter and John show up and they affirm everything that he's done and he thinks, man, this is great. We got revival going on in Samaria. I am never going to leave here. Jerusalem, you can keep it now. I got Samaria. This is awesome. And our passage, which we get to right now, it says, now an angel of the Lord said to Philip. An angel of the Lord. How many times have you seen an angel? I remember uh, uh, a group of people in the church that were excited and they were always asking for testimonies about angels. Uh, 
my opinion is that angels show up when we're ignoring all the other signs that God has given us. It's always, it was like Philip was not going to hear God if he said, I want you to leave Samaria. Things are great, God, I don't want to leave this. And so God sends him this angel that stands in front of him and, over here, Philip, stop. I want you to go here. No, 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 no. Hey, come on, Philip, I got more I want to do with you. In the desert? Yes, go to the desert. Go to the south. Go to this desert road that goes from Jerusalem down to Gaza. And I'm going to use you there. Now go. And so this angel comes to, to uh, Philip and he obeys him. He goes down to the, the road, the desert road. And along the highway, he sees a little uh, truck stop. A chariot stop, sorry. Uh, and, and he sees this, this man. And, and then he describes this man and imagine that he probably had to eventually find out who he was. But he realizes who he is. Why would God go through all the trouble of sending an angel to Philip? Maybe because this is an important connection. In fact, this man, as you, descri as, as you described, and, and uh, I remember, you know, when we, I used to do baptisms for, um, you know, teenagers in the, my youth group, and we used to go out and, and you'd always tell this story, and then you get to this place where you had to talk about eunuchs. Well, a eunuch is, um, well, anyway, uh, he was uh, somebody close to the queen, you know. And, and so we find out that this man was from Ethiopia, from Africa. That if this man comes to Jesus... Philip was part of reaching another whole continent. This was a critical connection. Who knew that he'd have to go all the way out to the desert road to find this man to stop him from just going home without ever having heard the gospel. You see, this man had been in Jerusalem. Somehow he had missed what God was doing with these Jewish believers in Jesus. He had never heard the gospel. He spent his time and he did all the Jewish things that he could do as an Ethiopian eunuch, as a follower of God, maybe even as a proselyte. He did all these things, but he never heard about Jesus. So he's on his way home, thinking, okay, this is all there is. And Philip comes. And he and, and I love this part. It says, and he, um, here is in the verse right here. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. The spirit told Philip, go and stay near the chariot. That's, that's the part that jumps out at me out of this passage was that there was this relationship that Philip had with the Spirit of God. That he was able finally, after having the angel get his attention, that he was ready to listen to God. And the Spirit was ready to lead Philip and said, go to this place. Go and, and run up to it and stand right next to that chariot right there. And I'm going to do something significant 
through this time. So our first principle, remember, was that God uses nobodies. Number two, he develop a habit of listening prayer and obedience to God. In order for us to be effective evangelists, effective witnesses for the gospel, we need to be sensitive to the Spirit of God. Be listening at all times that our God might want to use us. I was having a conversation with a, a relative of mine who's a believer. And, of course, these days, most you have these through texts, right? <laughs> and we're having this conversation. And he says, have you ever heard this book called um, um, Just Do Something? And I was like, no, never heard it. So I quickly did a little Google over here to figure out what the book is about, find, find a little interview or uh, you know, review of the book and get the gist of the book. And, and I said, okay, I, I get it. Just do something. The, 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 the thesis of the book is basically there's lots of Christians sitting out there and they're not doing a thing. And just do something, right? That's a great message. Just do something. But, of course, I needed to push it a little further, and I said, you know, where's the role of the Holy Spirit in that? I said, well, just do something. Well, what do I do? You know, well, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things should be gathered unto you. Okay, how? What what does that mean for me to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness? What does it mean for me to be a witness when, how, where, how do I do it? What words do I use? How do I, how do I apply this, these principles, these commands to just do something for God? When do I do it? How do I do it? That's when the Holy Spirit is part of that role. The Holy Spirit is the one who leads us into asking the right question, being in the right place, and, 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 and going and being in that place. And so the role of the Holy Spirit. I, I want to quote somebody that doesn't come from that weird part of the world. You know, we think of those Holy Spirit people, right? There's a guy named Martin, D. Martin Lloyd-Jones. They called him the doctor. Um, 1940s, 1950s, one of the greatest Bible teachers of the 20th century. And he said this. There is no question but that God's people can look for and expect leadings, guidance, indications of what they are meant to do. There are many examples of this in scripture. Again, if you read in the history of the saints, God's people throughout centuries, and especially in the history of revivals, you will find that this is something which is perfectly clear and definite. Men and women have been told by the Holy Spirit to do something. They knew it was the Holy Spirit speaking to them, And it's transpired that it obviously was his leading. It seems clear to me that if we deny such possibility, we are again guilty of quenching the spirit. Scripture is clear. Those who are led by the spirit of God are the children of God. John chapter 10. Those who entered by the gate are the shepherd of the sheep. Jesus is the shepherd The gatekeeper opens the gate for the shepherd and the sheep listen to the shepherd's voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. I remember hearing that and realizing that for the first time and I said, Jesus said to me, my sheep 
hear my voice. Do we have any sheep here today? Say ba. There we go. If you are a sheep this morning, you have a shepherd and he wants to speak to you. He knows you by name and he leads you out. I wanted to share an example of that. Uh, my son um, decided to go on a missions trip to Germany. And Germany, now today, if you've ever, if you know about what's going on in the world, this was after the Arab Spring. This was about 2016. There were lots of people coming from the Middle East and were flooding into Europe. And there was thousands of immigrants coming into Germany. And so they went to minister to these immigrants, these Arab-speaking uh, uh, people, um, Muslim-based people uh, that were coming into Germany. And so uh, my, my son was part of the team uh, that actually came from Antioch Church in Beverly. And they went, were part of this group. But they did something different than just going out and handing out tracts and trying to talk to people. They divided the team in half. One part of the team stayed back at the, at the ministry center and began to pray and listen to God. And the other part of the team went out on the streets. But they were connected by cell phones. And so as they began to pray and listen to God, they would communicate what they were hearing and seeing in, in their prayer time with the team that was on the ground. And one of the messages was, there's a man who has a red coat, or yellow coat, I think it was a yellow Parker on. He says, we think that God might, he might be open to your message. So, so if you see somebody in a yellow Parker, you know, be gentle, don't run at them, but you know, just go up and hang out with them and see what, if God opens a door. Just let's see what happens. It may not be, it may be we, we've, we've missed hearing God, but we're hearing and seeing this guy in a yellow parker. And so they're walking the streets in, in Wuppertal, Germany, and there he was, the man in the yellow jacket. And they went up to him, and they began to engage him in a conversation. And the guy was, no, 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 not interested, not interested. And he walked away. And the team was like, wow. I guess we missed that. I guess that wasn't true. So they began to walk a little further and they were walking around and, and then again they ran across the guy in the yellow parker and he saw them and instead of walking away from them he ran to them and says yes, yes, yes. Let me tell you what I saw last night. I had a dream. There was a man in a white robe. Can you tell me who that is in my dream? And they began to share Jesus with him. My son came home and he gave testimony um, because we sent him off from, as our church, um, as a college student and connected here, but with our church down in, in Westboro or in the Worcester, Worcester area. And this is, this is his testimony. He said, I can't believe how easy it was and less scary to witness to people when you know that Jesus goes before you preparing the way. Here's another quote. When we are, this is from a, a, a book that we've been, we've based a lot of our training on. When we are seeking to be a witness, there may be no other thing we can do that will have a greater impact than learning to listen to God. So how do we do that? 
First of all, we realize if we are a believer in Jesus, we have the Holy Spirit inside of us. We don't have to go find him. He is in us. He is with us. First thing that we need to realize is he is with us. Wherever we go, he goes with us. Romans 8, 9, and 10, that we have that Spirit of God in us and with us. But not only is that a a reality, um, Paul encourages us to continue to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And the idea of being filled with the Holy Spirit is not that, you know, we're, we've got a, you know, we've only got a, a, quart, or a quart low, right? You know, we need another quart. And so we go to the, you know, and put the funnel in. And, and, and it's, it's that the Holy Spirit, it's not that, that uh, there's not enough Holy Spirit. There's not enough of us available to the Spirit of God. It's, it's as if uh, the passage, the context, is being under the influence. And I imagine last night there were a lot of people that were under the influence of other spirits, right? But what, what Paul is encouraging us to be is, is to make ourselves available to the influence of the Holy Spirit. Every moment and thought and decision that we make. And then also... As we are filled and we are, we are realizing that we're walking with the Holy Spirit every day to ask God questions. You know, we're always asking him for things. Ask him, what does he want to do? Where are you still, where are you working in my life or in the people around me? Where are you already at work? Lead me to receptive people. Another question would be, is there someone you want me to talk to today? to care for, to pray with? Is there someone hurting that I've just not even noticed yet? Make me aware of them. And oh, by the way, this is not a parlor game. The willingness to obey God when God calls us is part of the deal. Commit to obey the Spirit of God. Imagine taking an afternoon. This is a project, a challenge, you know, that uh, I may send, I may encourage even the, the class, the discipleship class next time. We'll, when we get to this principle, when we talk about this in depth, to take an afternoon or a lunch break and walk around and look at people and listen to God. Ask God to lead you to someone to whom he is already at work. Well, that's enough for you to do, right? So, an angel of the Lord tells Philip to go towards Gaza, and he obeys. He finds himself, he finds someone pulled over in the, in the, in the chariot lane, and the Spirit tells him to go over and stand there, and he obeys. And then Philip is, is prompted to ask a question, and that ends up in this wonderful the exchange around the passage of Isaiah 53. The third principle that I want to show you here is that, um, that we need to be ready to proclaim the good news about Jesus from Scripture. Of all the passages that could have been, um, that, that um, Philip could have overheard In fact, interesting enough that he actually knew it was scripture. It could have been just the newspaper that day, the Jerusalem Times. He's sitting there, do-do-do, having a cup of coffee, you know, taking a break in in his, uh, you know, in a rest stop here, and he's just reading out loud. But Philip recognized 
that in Scripture. Whoa, wait a minute. God's doing something here with this guy. He's reading Scripture. And I'm here. God, the Spirit of God led me to be right next to this guy when he is reading Scripture. And what is he reading? He's reading from Isaiah. Oh, my goodness. Of all the books of the, of the Hebrew Scriptures, the most messianic of all the books of the Bible in the Old Testament is Isaiah. Whoa. And of all the chapters, of the 66 chapters in the book of Isaiah, he just so happens to be reading the most messianic chapter in all of Isaiah. How did that happen? I was uh, years and years ago in Egypt, and we were doing friendship evangelism uh, there, um, and we were we were uh, asked to, to go and befriend someone. Friendship evangelism, right? We're not going out there in the streets and getting arrested and thrown in jail because we're in a Muslim country. We're just making friends. And my Muslim friend, Ali Gado, uh, we would have tea every night. And of all the time, and so we get to know each other, and he's trying to learn English, so that's why he loves to hang out with me, right? And uh, he's going through the dictionary, the English dictionary. And it just so happened that when I'm meeting with him, he is in the J's. And the name Jesus is in the J's. And he goes, Jesus, who is Jesus? And we had this whole conversation. How did God know that I would be there when he is in the dictionary and he's reading J? God works Mysteriously in our lives. Isaiah 53 is a wonderful place to go. Um, especially uh, we live here in Marblehead and Swampscott where there's a, uh, many, many Jewish people. If you don't know Isaiah 53, we read some of it this morning. Isaiah 53 is a wonderful place to use. In fact, when we have shared Isaiah 53 and we've read it to a, an unbelieving Jewish person, a lot of times they'll just say, oh, that's in the New Testament. That's in the New Testament. And you go, oh, no, it isn't. It's actually in the Hebrew Scriptures. They go, what? It is? So I, a challenge for you is to, is to learn the Scriptures, the Hebrew Scriptures. Isaiah is a great place. Isaiah 53 is a great one to learn and to study and, and deeply so that you can able to point them to Jesus through the Hebrew Scriptures. God says, God's Word says, for the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any uh, two-edged sword, able to devoid, divide joint and marrow, soul and spirit, it judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Billy Graham found that there was more power in his preaching when he began to base his, his preaching, if you imagine not doing that, but what are the words that you hear from Billy Graham, the greatest evangelist of the 20th century? The Bible says, the Bible says. That is the place where our, our gospel church, our gospel message should should come from. So, a couple things that we can do about Scripture. Maybe God's calling you this 2023 to start again to read Scripture on a daily basis, to, to familiarize yourself, to listen to God's Holy Spirit teaching from the Word of God. And there's lots of places that you could start a reading plan of the Scriptures and get through the, all the Scriptures in, in one year. 
Uh, can I recommend one of them? A friend of mine wrote one called Fresh Encounters with God. If you need that, I'll, I'll pass it on to you later on. Um, a one-year chronological Bible reading plan um, for you. And there's so many more that you could find. Um, be able to present one Bible verse and present the gospel through one Bible verse. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Learn to tell Bible stories just as if they were happening. That was part of my story as an as a unbeliever, um, is going to Sunday school, never having really heard the Bible stories, and my youth pastor beginning to tell stories, and he would tell them in such a way that I thought they were happening like today, like on the streets in, in Norwich, Connecticut in 1977, you know, back then. And yet, those are the things that drew my heart. Wow, God is real. God is, is, is active. He is working in, in, in lives, just like he did 2,000 years ago. Invite someone to sit down and read the Bible with you. You know, you may say, I'm not an evangelist, but can you invite somebody? Maybe you say, hey, you know, um, I'm, I'm uh, starting a, a, a series on, I'm just reading the Bible. Would, would you mind, want to come and, and do that? And when I, was a, uh, when I was a fraternity member in college, and we had lots of, of Jewish um, people in our fraternity, and they were like, oh, no, I don't believe that New Testament thing. I says, have you ever read it? No. Well, isn't it intellectually uh, dishonest for having an opinion about something that you've never read? And we started three or four of them one semester of investigative Bible studies, just reading the scriptures together and seeing how God um, can, can use the word of God and focus your message on Jesus. So for the Ethiopian, the one thing he was missing of all the things, he had the scriptures, he knew about Jerusalem, he had the Old Testament, he understood the worship of, of God in that whole context, and the one thing he missed was Jesus. What an amazing thing that was when he was able to see and understand through Philip how the scriptures connect with one man, the Messiah, the light of the world. Can you imagine the excitement that this Ethiopian had when he embraced that? In fact, he didn't even wait for Philip to invite him to make a response to the gospel. In fact, they're writing, he goes, there's water. What's wrong with me? Can I, can I get in the water and get baptized right now? Philip hadn't even given him an invitation. He didn't even ask him, would you like to pray with me today? It was simply spontaneous within that man. And he came to faith and was baptized that day. The final principle, and we're almost done, keep on planting seeds and let God bear the fruit. A lot of times we worry about, well, you know, I've tried to share with my neighbor or my coworker, and it hasn't worked very well. That's okay. Keep planting seeds. Paul says, I planted the seed, Apollos watered, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants or the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. Keep doing your part and believe that God will do his part. So what is our part? 
Be filled with his spirit. Be led by his spirit. Listen and obey as you go through your days. Be filled with the word of God. Let the word of God overflow through you. Not in an obnoxious way, but as a testimony. Well, this is, this is what I heard today. This is the encouraging, positive thing that I heard today. And oh, by the way, yeah, it's from this old book called the Bible. And don't forget, in 2023, the best is yet to come. I want to end our time this morning in prayer, in listening prayer. So let's practice what we've been doing. One of the traditions in one of the churches I pastored was a Chinese church. And they had this wonderful tradition. And I don't know, some of them probably did, it went over their heads and they just did it because they always did it. But at the end of a message, you know, the pastor would, would pray or whatever and end the message. And then the service was just about ready to end. And everyone would stop and sit, listen, and then go on their way. So I'm going to take some time, just a, just a couple moments here. This moment, this morning, if we could stop, bow, listen. There's a lot of stuff I laid on you, probably a year's worth. <laughs> but you can't do it all. What does God, one thing that he wants for you today, it may be that you just need to recommit your life to Jesus or for the first time say, Lord Jesus, come in and, and influence my life in a way that pleases you. Let's, let's listen to the Lord for a moment. this morning with uh, Go Tell It on the Mountain. Is that in a hymnal? Yes?